It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. on here. Resistance is futile. This indeed you are is Fan Effect. Hi, I'm Andy Farnsworth from KSL News Radio and KSL's Fan Effect podcast. I'm also the movies and pop culture guy for KSL 5 today, and this is my review of Jungle Cruise from Walt Disney Studios. The Jungle Cruise attraction at the Disney theme parks has been a fan favorite since it first opened at Disneyland Anaheim in 1955. It was so popular there that it was included as a day one attraction at Walt Disney World in Florida, Tokyo Disneyland, and Hong Kong Disneyland. Big fans of the Disney parks already know this, but the skippers of the Jungle Cruise ride lead a humorous and irreverent tour along four rivers, the Nile of Africa, the Amazon of South America, the Irrawaddy of Southeast Asia, and the Ganges of India. There are lots of intentionally bad puns thrown about on the ride. Now, Jungle Cruise, the movie, was obviously inspired by the ride. However, a five to ten minute theme park ride does not a full length feature film make. So, similar to Pirates of the Caribbean, much had to be added to create the movie now in theaters and on Disney Plus premiere. What you think of the movie may depend on what you think of the ride. Now, Jungle Cruise, the movie, takes place in 1916 during the height of World War I. Emily Blunt stars as determined researcher Lily Houghton, a woman who believes the legend of a mystical plant located somewhere in the Amazon jungles. When she gets her hands on a relic that could help her discover that plant, she heads to Brazil and enlists the help of wisecracking riverboat skipper Frank Wolf and his rickety old boat to guide her and her brother McGregor, a proper English gentleman who brings like 40 suitcases with him, through all the perilous spots on the river, including Jungle creatures, bugs, natives, and a German prince who wants the relic that Lily has. And that's not even everything, but I don't want to spoil it for those of you who are going to watch the movie. For me, the strongest part of this film were its two main leads, Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt. I thought they had a palpable chemistry that jokingly made me a little worried for Blunt's real-life husband, John Krasinski. Blunt, who's proven her action-adventure chops in multiple films already, looks a natural here as kind of a female version of Indiana Jones. The Rock is as charismatic and physically imposing as ever, so his action moments and stunts fit right in with everything you've seen him in before. Sure, some of the action and chases are ridiculous, but it, a lot of it is, you know, ridiculous fun. Johnson's character Frank gets most of the bad puns that the Jungle Cruise amusement park ride is famous for, and there were several other genuinely humorous moments by various characters. And animals in the movie, too. You'll see Jesse Plemons from Friday Night Lights, Breaking Bad, and a whole bunch of other stuff as the German prince in a U-boat, as well as a sunburned Paul Giamatti as the owner of a rival riverboat company. The locations and cinematography were also a positive for me. The probably mostly CG version of the Amazon, both the river and the surrounding jungles, did look pretty impressive. You can almost feel the humidity at times as you watch it. But I had a lot of problems with the movie as well. First of all, despite a lot of the humor and general silly tone kind of feeling, it, it, it seemed like it was aimed at young kids, but there was definitely imagery and violence that seemed way too grown up for young kids. Jungle Cruise is rated PG-13 for extended scenes of adventure violence, but there are also some really intense and scary imagery, mostly snakes coming out of one character and some mutated people kind of similar to Pirates of the Caribbean. So keep that in mind. 
Now, I wouldn't recommend this for kids under eight as a general suggestion. And it also would have benefited from some cuts in its two-hour and eight-minute runtime to streamline the story a little bit more. There was a lot going on. I thought there were too many villains plot twists that only raised more questions than gave answers. Director Jaume Colette Serra seemed like he was trying to capture the essence of great action-adventure films like Indiana Jones and Pirates of the Caribbean. But unfortunately, Jungle Cruise felt like the worst entries in those franchises, like Crystal Skull and At World's End. Unfortunately, that feeling of being a poor copy of better films and the bloated plot that really overshadowed for me the likability of the leads and the occasional fun moments. I was also disappointed that some of the imagery was a little too much for the youngest viewers. I give Jungle Cruise two out of four stars. For what it's worth, my kids and my friends who are the huge Disney fans liked it more than I did. Just throwing that out there. If you want to see Jungle Cruise, you have two options in theaters and just like Black Widow, also available on Disney Plus Premiere. That'll cost you $30 on top of your monthly Disney Plus subscription fee. If you want to wait it out for the movie to come out on the free tier of Disney Plus, that won't be until November 12th. My personal recommendation is if you want to see it, the big screen will look best. If you're on the fence about the movie, just wait until November. Also, as far as I'm aware, this is the last Disney movie currently scheduled for a simultaneous release in theaters and on Disney+. From here on out, barring another COVID-related setback in Hollywood, the scheduled Disney releases will be in theaters only. And this is my review of Stillwater from Focus Features. Not all movies that come out in summer are event movies. You know what I mean. Big budget, special effects, blockbusters based on established and familiar fan franchises. If you look, you can often find other movie gems that don't get as much fanfare, but tell a compelling or engrossing story and deserve to be seen on the big screen just as much as the ones with all the publicity and anticipation. Stillwater, starring Matt Damon and directed by Academy Award winner Tom McCarthy, is one of those films. In Stillwater, Damon plays unemployed oil rigger from Oklahoma named Bill Baker. Baker looks every bit a stereotype of what you might expect from someone from that region. Blue jeans, goatee, work boots, a working man's mesh ball cap, all of it. Right down to an accent listening to country music while driving a pickup. But you can imagine how out of place Bill looks when he suddenly moves to Marseille, France to try and help his estranged daughter Allison, played by Abigail Breslin. Allison's in a French prison convicted of murdering her girlfriend, a crime she claims she didn't commit. And Bill tries to take matters into his own hands to investigate it when his daughter's lawyer and local police say it won't make a difference. Helping Bill overcome language barriers, cultural differences, and a complicated legal system is a local French actress named Virginie, played by Camille Cotin, best known to American viewers from her role in Killing Eve. As Bill spends more time in Marseille chasing down leads, he becomes more entwined in the life of Virginie and her eight-year-old daughter Maya, played brilliantly by Lilo Siovad, I hope I said that right, (laughs) giving him a second chance at being the man he already failed at being once in his life already. Damon, Cotan, and Siovat are the emotional heart of Stillwater and what I enjoyed most watching in the film. But the performances of all the leads, including Academy Award-winning Academy Award nominee Breslin, prevents the slow pace of this two-hour and 20-minute movie from being a distraction. Instead, it allows you to get to know the city of Marseille, which is almost a character unto itself and its many ethnic layers. It also authentically recreated, for me at least, the feeling of what it is like to be an American living in a foreign country. That's something I can't say I've ever felt watching a movie before. The plot was interesting, though it obviously had parallels with the real-life Amanda Knox story. It wasn't a straightforward murder mystery, though it did have the suspenseful elements and the occasional intriguing twist thrown in at times. 
Stillwater is rated R mostly for language, though there is some occasional street violence. One thing that may bother some viewers is Damon's character itself. Now, this talented actor capably creates an authentic white middle class and middle American, probably Republican character. But there were times where I couldn't tell if that's what director McCarthy wanted or if he wanted people to see Bill as more of a parody of one. Look, here's Bill not trying at all to speak the local language. He doesn't understand soccer and talks about American football. He wants to eat burgers instead of local food. Does he really own more than one gun? It's a fine line between satire and mockery, and I won't be surprised if some people feel like it was more on the mocking side than being genuine. But that aside, I found Stillwater to be a very engaging film carried by a talented cast. It's a well-acted murder mystery with tragic moments. And as I mentioned earlier, if you've never lived abroad, this movie does a good job of bringing that experience to you. And that's pretty unique. I give the movie three out of four stars, and it is playing only in theaters. This is my review of The Green Knight from A24 Pictures. The tales of King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table are legends that have been told for centuries and made into multiple films multiple times in the past century. Most of the films have predictably focused on King Arthur himself, but a new film out now follows not Arthur, but one of his knights on an adventure that's based on a 14th century epic poem called Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. It purports to be the tale of a young hero embarking on a quest to prove his worth amid increasingly strange circumstances. Strange being a key word. This movie, simply called The Green Knight, introduces us to Sir Gawain, played by Dev Patel, most famous for the movies Slumdog Millionaire and Lion. He's King Arthur's nephew, but doesn't really stand out among the knights of the round table. That is, until on Christmas Day, a mysterious knight in green armor and apparently made out of trees or something shows up at the king's court and throws down a challenge. Whoever is willing to face him in battle and can land any blow with a sword, that person will gain wealth and fame. But there's a catch. That person will also have to travel to the Green Knight's land one year later and allow the knight to give back the exact same blow in return. Gowan volunteers and beheads the knight. But he's shocked along with everyone else when the knight's headless body stands up, picks up the head and walks out of the room, reminding them that Gowan will receive the same blow in one year's time and he better show up. Apologies if you feel like I'm spoiling things a bit, but everything I just told you happens in the first few minutes of the film. And honestly, I just did you a favor, as I'll explain in a minute. The whole rest of the movie's two-hour and five-minute runtime, and it feels a lot longer than that. Follows Gowan on his journey to meet his destiny and the tests he faces along the way. The movie's directed by David Lowry, who also directed the Disney live-action version of Pete's Dragon a few years ago. And he's currently scheduled to do the live-action Disney movie Peter Pan and Wendy. While The Green Knight is definitely not a Disney movie in any way, shape, or form, and is also one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen, Lowry does show a particular talent for gorgeous visuals and imaginative cinematography in this film. There's elements of survival movies, ghost movies, epic fantasy movies, and cerebral thinker movies. I kind of complained about the movie feeling longer than it is, but there were moments where the slow pace was actually beneficial and made a scene more interesting than if it were rushed through. And I did think the casting was solid with Patel as Gowan, Alicia Vikander, and Joel Edgerton as a husband and wife who let Gowan stay with them during part of his journey. And Sean Harris, who was the bad guy in the last couple Mission Impossible movies, he plays the king. But be warned, this is not your typical summer popcorn film. I walked out of it thinking it was one of the strangest movies I've ever watched. 
It's rated R and deservedly so for violence, sexuality, and nudity. I said I liked the casting choices, but at the same time, there are long stretches of time in the movie where there's nobody speaking at all. And the various actors' accents make a lot of the mumbly dialogue that much harder to understand when they do speak. But the biggest warning I can probably give ahead of time is what I was referring to earlier when I talked about spoiling the story. I highly recommend that you familiarize yourself with the basics of the old legend on which the movie's based before you go see this. I feel like the trailer sells you a different kind of movie than what you actually get when you watch the film itself. If you walk in blind like I did, you might have as frustrating an experience as I did. After taking some time since seeing the movie to understand the story on which it's based, I realized that it would have helped to know some of that information beforehand. The Green Knight was visually impressive, but for the reasons I mentioned, hard to follow. Honestly, it's the kind of movie that your college professor makes the class watch after you've read and studied the old poem. I give it two out of four stars. It's definitely cinema as art, but not so much cinema as entertainment. And it was apparently too artistic for my simple mind, which... Probably means it'll get nominated for a bunch of Oscars. The Green Knight is playing only in theaters. Thanks for watching. I hope you and your family found this review helpful. And I invite you to check out some of my other in-depth reviews of movies and streaming TV shows on KSLTV.com. I'll see you there. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.